Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut or shortened due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. Listening colour. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Welcome to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss. It's where the shapers of business join the shapers of jazz, soul and blues. My guest today is Ian Harkin. He's the co-founder and CEO of Lottie Dolls, a diverse range of dolls designed to look like kids rather than adults. Ian was working as an accountant before following in his toy shop owning grandmother's footsteps. He co-founded what was then called Art Clue, his business name, in 2010, and the company's first dolls were inspired by Kate Middleton and Prince William. All a huge success. Lottie Dolls has emerged from there. They saw there was a niche for a more wholesome alternative to the dolls that were currently on the market. Retailers told Ian that Lottie would never work because dolls need to be pink and glittery to sell. We completely ignored their advice, he said, and Lottie Dolls was launched in 2012, challenging the toy industry in body image, gender stereotypes, diversity and ability, and ethnicity. Lottie has been promoting STEM subjects, that's science, technology, engineering and maths, just in case you didn't know, in particular to girls who are underrepresented in the STEM fields. And a partnership with the European Space Agency, no less, saw the company send their Stargazer doll to the International Space Station alongside astronaut Tim Peake. We'll be talking to Ian in a few minutes about the inspiration for his dolls, plans for a Lottie animated cartoon and Lottie's motto, be bold, be brave, be you. It's a great motto for a Saturday morning. We've also got brilliant music from, amongst others, David Sanborn, Bill Withers and Jimmy Smith. That's today's Jazz Shapers, ladies and gentlemen. Here's Horace Silver and Senor Blues. That was Horace Silver with Senor Blues. I'm talking to Ian Harkin. He's the founder of Lottie Dolls, co-founder actually, uh, back in 2012, you're hearing. And I have to say straight away, before I even say hello, I wish my daughter was here with you. She will be listening and she will be going, Daddy, I want to meet the man behind Lottie Dolls. She and probably millions of other small children. Lovely to meet you. Thank you very much, yeah. I, I should, should be thanking your daughter because I believe she's the one that... Uh prompted me to be uh, invited on. This is completely true. Um, and I'm sitting in front of uh, two beautiful dolls, Robot Girl and Pandora's Box that you brought in. But yes, Iris, age six, has been a fan for many years. What makes kids love these? They're relatable, I guess. One of the things that we did whenever we started uh, looking at the doll category was fashion dolls have been on the market for about 70 years. And when they first came out... Uh, the average age of the user was actually 12 years of age. And a 12-year-old aspires to be an adult, whereas the average age now is actually six. And a six-year-old aspires to be a nine-year-old. So one of the first moves that we made was that we sculpted Lottie on the average proportions of a nine-year-old child. We spent 18 months researching it in total, and we looked at kids were missing out in their childhood and growing up too soon and all of the content that they were consuming whether it was from music videos or clothing or magazines it was all 
overly sexualized and it was, you know, kids were just missing out in their childhood. They were trying to be adults too soon. And that single move that we made on basing our character on a nine-year-old child and focusing on childhood was probably, you know, almost accidental in a way, but it was able to address all of those issues that we discovered in our research. Your own background, you're an accountant, you're a numbers guy yeah, yeah. originally, but you don't look much like one. Well, not that an accountant <laughs> looks a certain way. I have plenty of friends who are accountants yeah. and I was saying, that's very nice. You've just offended me. Um, but you, that business background, from your perspective, must be critical every day that you're running this business. How many, how many people now work in the business? Yeah, well, we can have up to 20 people at any point in time. Mm. Um, my background, yeah, is in finance. I think when I was in school, my, my favorite subjects were more on the creative side, in art and in sports. But, um, you know, I, I suppose I, I realized that it would be difficult to get career in, in those options. So I decided to focus on finance. And I was actually traveling in Australia, took a year out and... When I was there, uh, I met a guy from London who was a product designer. And when I originally came back to London, uh, he contacted me and I was helping him with um, his business that he had set up, which was a product design business. And he came up with a couple of concepts for uh, a novelty gift business. So I helped him do business plans and we did some fundraising. And the investors, when when we presented to them, they asked if I would give up my day job in finance and join him in business. So we started up a novelty gift business here in, in the UK, in London, and we grew that over about five years. And I then um, had a bit of a personal tragedy. I'd, um, I had been engaged to a girl here in London and she sadly passed away from cancer. So I, I, I sold up my shares in that business and I started again fresh. Uh, a friend of mine, Lucy, who was living here in London, or still is living here in London. She had been working with doing search engine optimization and, and she'd been doing a, a couple of different websites with uh, Cheryl Cole and I had approached her about doing potentially a doll with Cheryl Cole and within a couple of weeks Cheryl unfortunately got dropped by X Factor in America so that idea went out the window but within a couple of weeks uh, William and Kate got engaged I mean. Both of us almost called each other at the same time and said, that's the idea. Let's, let's um, you know, we knew we wanted to do a doll. We also had started researching the doll market at that stage. And, but, but we knew we needed something to give us that little bit of uh, boost to just get, get onto the market, get the business started. And we decided that we'd go first with Kate and William. And we launched... A Kate doll in Hamleys, um, not too far from the studio here, uh, the week before the royal wedding. And over the period of a week, we had about 13 TV interviews uh, in Hamleys toy store. That led us to doing a, a double pack then with Kate and William, which we launched about in August of that year, August 2010. And all the while we were doing that, we were researching the toy industry um, one of the first pieces of research Lucy came across was a, by an article, an article by the, a lady by the name of Dr. Margaret Ashwell. And she was head of the British Nutrition Foundation and she'd done research. Uh, it was a control group where certain kids were playing with certain brands of fashion dolls. We'll not say which ones, but... Uh, and others were playing with other brands. And she discovered that those playing with those fashion dolls were developing body image issues. 
And since then, there's been another three or four pieces of academic research that discovered how certain brands of fashion dolls leave you with um, body image issues later in life. The bravery behind you setting this thing up and ignoring people saying this ain't going to sell, where does that come from, Ian? I think um, we got a lot of courage, I suppose, from the, the first doll we brought to market, um, the Kate Middleton doll. Um, uh, when we were doing that, we realized, you know, we had uh, a couple of uh, really good customers in Hamleys and Harrods. We also sold them in Toys R Us in Times Square and FAO Schwartz and in, in Toys R Us in Australia as well. But a large proportion of our sales were also done online. And there was a big learning in how that whole thing operates, you know, e-commerce, how to optimize your sales and, you know, the importance of customer service and everything. You know, we learned an awful lot from that process. And uh, we knew that retail is and was at that stage changing rapidly. Um, E-commerce, you know, Amazon was a monster back then and it's even bigger now. And, you know, if you compare to the, the, how much market share Amazon has in America and you compare it to here, you know, there's still a lot of growth going to happen over the coming years. So we knew that, yes, what retailers had to say was important, but the, the voice that we needed to listen to most was actually what kids were saying to us. And it strikes me, and I'm just looking at these two little Lotties, and they're very sweet. Um, and obviously, I'm quite familiar with Lotties, as, as I mentioned, because of Iris. But they are incredibly dinky. They are incredibly accessible in a way that probably the dolls that people of my generation grew up with, which just, they, they were of this glitzy, beautiful world. This is a much more down-to-earth world. This is the world that we inhabit and the world that probably young girls can go, I want to be that, I want to be an astronaut, I want to be a scientist, whatever else it might be. The product design strikes me as a critical part of this. So part one was working out you could make them like the proportions of a nine-year-old child rather than a 12-year-old or a 15-year-old. Part two, this you talk about the voice of the consumer, the voice of children. How do you ensure that the next doll is indeed accessible and something that they go, yeah, I can relate to that? A lot of the ideas that we do develop into products are coming to us from kids. In, in our second year, I discovered a video on YouTube by a little girl called Ali Weber. At that time, she was only six years of age and she made this robot out of cardboard boxes and her mom videos her and she entered it into a local maker fair in America. And Ali ended up winning first place and uh, she, the enthusiasm that she had in her video, I just knew there was something different about Ali. And I contacted her mom and we developed uh, this robot girl doll together with her. And it comes, there's a little accessory pack as well with this little robot. I don't have it with me today, but... That's um, very disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> there's nothing I like more yeah. than Lottie and robot alongside. Yeah. So next time we meet, yeah. you can bring the robot. Yeah, so um, Ali, six years later, she won a Global Invented Challenge. She was a finalist in the 3M Young Scientist of the Year. She's now a presenter on Mythbusters Junior. And she's an incredible kid and an incredible ambassador as well for STEM, science, technology, engineering and maths. And when that was announced uh, two years ago that she, she was voted 21 of the most influential kids under the age of 21 by Teen Vogue, we actually had three kids on that list that we have developed dolls with. Taylor Richardson was another one. And there is a little girl from Flint in Michigan called Mari Copney. And we've developed a little kid activist doll with Mari. 
Yeah. I love it. I love it. Stay with me for much more. We're going to find out um, just about this, how this story has developed and the and the kind of growth as well. I want to talk a little bit about that. Ian Harkin's going to be back with me in a few more minutes. But before that, some words of advice from our programme partners at Mishkondora for your business. Hello, I'm Kate Higgins from the Corporate Department at Mishkondorea. One of the key issues facing our business clients is how to achieve the long-term success and prosperity of their business whilst dealing with the day-to-day needs of running the business. One method of achieving this is to have in place a sound system of corporate governance. It's widely accepted that having a sound system of corporate governance can help achieve long-term success. And this is an area where we work closely with our clients. It's a good idea to set it at an early stage and then reassess as the business grows. So what is sound corporate governance? Well, helpfully, there is new guidance in the form of the weights principles for corporate governance, and these apply to private companies. There are two main areas on which the weights principles focus. The first, which I'm going to talk about today, is about a suitable board structure. Making sure that you have a wide range of diverse talent on your board is key. Putting in place adequate training for your board members and ensuring there is independent challenge, perhaps with a non-executive director, can also assist. Finally, it's important to document the procedures that you have in place so everyone is clear about them. Using the weight principles is advisable and now would be a good time for companies to see how they measure up. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. There are many ways for you to enjoy all our former Jazz Shapers and indeed to hear this programme again. You can ask Alexa to play Jazz Shapers and there you can hear many of the recent programmes or if you pop Jazz Shapers into your preferred podcast platform. That's always my favourite thing to say, by the way. Preferred podcast platform. Um, mine's uh, iTunes, but I believe that you can get them in Spotify, Deezer and all sorts of other places. And right there you can find the full archive. But back to today, I promised you he'd be here. He still is. He's right in front of me. It's Ian Harkin, co-founder and CEO of Lottie Dolls. So there are a diverse range of dolls based on kids as a to adults. I'm reading that bit, but actually I know that they are living, breathing people who sit and live and breathe in my own house and in my in-law's house and all sorts of other places wherever my daughter might happen to be. Um, we were talking earlier about design, the kids having a big voice in this and about them being role models, whether it's a, one sort of activist for the environment or whatever it might be, or changing society generally, whether it's about becoming a scientist and so on. I imagine you'll never run out of ideas. No, um, I suppose there's a lot of things that we want to do as well in the development of the dolls. Um, you know, diversity in ethnicity and diversity in ability is a, is, a, is a key area that we wanted to look at. A couple of years ago, we partnered up with a, a UK-based organisation called Toy Like Me. And they made a call out to all of the different toy companies and they were asking for more diversity in the products, the toy products that were on the market. I think we were the first and I think maybe the only at the moment that has answered their call. Um, We developed a doll with a cochlear implant. And what we do with our doll is we don't actually say it on the packaging that this is a doll for people with cochlear implants. Um, It's a beautiful doll, uh, Maya, the wildlife photographer. And when after you purchase it, you then discover, oh, she's got something on her ear and what is it? And we've got a little leaflet inside where we talk about... Uh, why it's there and the importance of kids having a diverse toy box. One of the things that dolls are able to do, 
probably more so than, say, cartoons or reading, is that it's tactile and it gets kids to actually start conversations about social situations and it normalizes certain differences that kids may have, um, which helps them develop empathy later in life. You know, the, the, there's a lot of division in our, in our society at the moment, um, whether, you know, it's because of different ethnicities, but also people with different abilities as well. They have a lot of challenges. And I think if we can build that into the products that we're doing, it starts conversations at a very uh, young age. And, you know, design is a big part of how we can solve a lot of these problems. Let me ask you how you find your people, because obviously in the beginning it was just you and your and your yeah. co-founder. The first few people in your team, were they like-minded or have they kind of learnt the lotty way without sounding too strange about it? You know, did you find people who went, this is actually more than just a doll and a toy business? Yeah, um, when it came to the point where we uh, had to you know, move off our kitchen table and into an office, we were looking for investment and... Uh, in my prior business, we had investors and the, a lot of the focus had to be on immediate returns and, you know, building a brand took time and we needed to find a solution that that afforded us that. And I, I suppose at the time, the only option that we really had was I, I sold my home here in London. I've been living here for 15 years at that stage and I moved back to the northwest of Ireland. For me, that felt good because we'd been through a recession in Ireland, we were you know, it was hit very, very hard in comparison to, say, London. And that that whole northwest of Ireland had the highest unemployment rate in the whole of the two aisles. And being able to start jobs in a remote location, for me, was hugely rewarding. But finding people was not really a challenge. Um, we have all the skills there. Um, I was going to say, Donegal, yeah. which is where it is, is, mm. is, a, is a place which is known for, for doll making as well. It so is, there's yeah. some expertise there. But it, just very yeah. briefly before we go back to some more music, is there a type of person that you look for? Yes, there is, yeah. And what is that? In, in terms of the values, if there were two or three values, what would they be? It's, it's compassion, really. It's it, you, you get a lot of it from the conversations you have. It's not really all about CVs. It's more about how socially aware they are. If they're a parent, yes, it's very good, but they don't necessarily need to be. It's just an understanding and seeing when you're interviewing them, you, you see how much passion they have for the brand, the research they've done. A lot of people come to us rather than us having to look for them. So it's yeah. it's good that way, yeah. You've got the job. Well <laughs> yeah. done. Stay with me for more from Ian Harkin, my business shaper, co-founder of Lottie Dolls. Time's for music right now. It's Bill Withers and Ain't No Sunshine. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone It's not warm when she's away Ain't no sunshine when she's gone And she's always gone too long Anytime she goes away That was the brilliant Bill Withers and the very famous Ain't No Sunshine. I'm with Ian Harkin and we're talking about the famous Lottie doll. Um, many Lottie dolls around the world. And in fact, it's an international business. I, um, you know, the million that you've sold so far have not just been in these fair these yeah. fair places here, but we're talking about as far as where. I'm obviously America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're selling currently in over 30 countries. Uh, the US is our biggest market at the moment, uh, followed by the UK. But uh, yeah, no, we've been on the market now for seven years. And yeah, there's each year we're adding in new countries and 
ex- expanding the distribution base. So, yeah. how do you, um, in your own way, manage this business? Because it's obviously, I think I read a quote somewhere about you being able to double your turnover almost one year mm-hmm. to another. This is exponential growth, and it's fabulous because it's we're in hard times. Whichever category you're in, it's you know, getting another percent or two is tricky and even then you're only keeping up with inflation you're really bucking the trend there aren't many players in this market how does ian ensure that ian leads this group of people in this business properly yeah um one of the things about our category is it's extremely competitive you have four or five major u.s uh manufacturers uh that dominate this category and I read a statistic somewhere that said 95% of entrants into our market fail within two years. So what we do is we we don't really try to compete. We build it slowly. Um, we we you know, we just we steer our own ship, and we uh, we believe in the values of what we've built in our brand. And you know we we've a couple of different angles to our our business. We sell direct to consumers and we sell on the Amazon platform and then we're in around 3,000 stores around the world. We have a huge amount of loyalty from independent retailers and we look after them, they look after us. Uh, we also, in some markets, we're selling into some of the larger store retailers. But but it strikes me about you yeah. personally because you're talking about the business there but you sitting behind it and you, you mentioned a very hard, terrible period in your, your life and you said, you know, you, you there's a sense when you start to know who you can trust family-wise and friends-wise, it strikes me that you would want those people who are on that journey with you to be have the faith and that you would engender belief. And if so, if that's true, and I'm sure it is true, how do you personally do that? We empower people a lot. We have key members of staff, so we have our creative director, our head of e-commerce and, and finance and... Uh, my wife is also in the business. Uh, and what does she do, your wife, in the business? Yeah, she looks after all of the production and the logistics. So uh, my wife's originally from Colombia, spent uh, half of her life then in Mexico, uh, where she was working in the car industry as well. So importing and mm. is is a big part of uh, her experience to date as well. And your m- mummy and daddy to two children. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Young. Yeah, two so young kids. How do you cope with that? I mean, is your wife still working at the moment or is she taking us a short break? My wife works incredibly hard. I don't know how she does it, but she still works and she is, uh, she's working from home at the moment. This is for perspective, by the way. Mm. Your child, your new one, is three months old. He is three yeah, months so old. That's a, yeah. I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Give her a break. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know, I don't know how she does it. Yeah, she's she's amazing, yeah. Which shows just how much dedication there is in this family to, mm. to this business. Stay with me for our final chat with Ian Harkin. Um, he's co-founder of Lottie Dolls. Plus, we'll be playing a track from, I always say this, one of my favourites. He really is. It's Mr. Jimmy Smith. That's all coming up in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. <laughs>
that was Jimmy Smith. Uh, I promised he would come. He did. And that was on the sunny side of the street. We've got a few more minutes here with my business shaper here on Jazz Shapers. It's Ian Harkin, uh, co-founder, CEO of Lottie Dolls. Um, and we've been talking about all sorts of things. Uh, and your own, to me, your the ethos in the business is around empowerment. You've got an incredibly hardworking team uh, and your, your wife included in that. Um, as you look forward, it strikes me that the money, and I'm sure now you're turning over a, a really significant sum. You don't have to tell me what it is, but it feels like it's a, a lot more than it was a year ago and, mm-hmm. and so on. Margin-wise, it's probably healthy too. Beyond the money, what else is going to make you excited? What does continually fascinate you and uh, and make you really focus on, on what you think is important for this business? In terms of growth, uh, it is sort of building out the content side of it. A few years ago, we did a publishing agreement with Penguin which has another year or so to run on that. Um, and we're, we're, we've been working on a, an animation series with a studio from Northern Ireland called Dog Ears. Uh, they're one of the animation studios behind Puff and Rock. We're currently pitching that out to s- major studios at the moment. The content side, is, side of it is very important to us. Uh, in terms of you know the product itself and how we get it further out onto the market, um, one of the challenges for I suppose every consumer product industry at the moment is about sustainability so we've uh, we're currently looking at how we can improve our packaging I mean our packaging at the moment is it's you know it's got minimal amount of plastic in it we we, we intentionally made the product smaller as well because we wanted to have a smaller footprint uh, but there's more we can do um, and the likes of Greta Thunberg there from Sweden, who's the environmental um, campaigner, um, and she's what eleven years of age, isn't it? So, you know, it makes you look again about you know what kids want, and kids, it is the future, uh, it's their future. So we need to, we, well, we have been standing back again and looking at how we can improve our packaging, and how that plays out as well. You know, from the manufacturing perspective. We want kids to create almost their own worlds. We don't want to be building big, large plastic dollhouses. We want kids to create their own. You know, we'll focus on the dolls and the clothing and the play patterns. But when the kids start using their imaginations, that's what really excites us. Uh, We had a competition a couple of years ago where we asked kids to develop their own den. And some of the ideas that we got, you know, they had little slides, they had zip wires, and we actually made one of them for for the winner. But, um, yeah, when you get kids' creativity going, that really excites me. Um, And you see a lot of craft. You see people making their own outfits. Um, Again, you know, uh, we want to encourage that rather than, you know, as a business, you might kind of go, well, actually, that's taking away from our product sales. But, no, that actually excites me. I I like seeing kids being creative with our product. And the customer service thing, just to note, again, we're talking here today, Ian, because, A, my daughter... Iris demanded it, not in that way, but in a nice way. And B, um, my, uh, my wife happened to ring up your customer service line and say, unfortunately, my daughter's lost some small bits of clothing. I wonder if you could help identify where we might be able to buy them. We were sent all of them for nothing. We said, no, no, of course not. And in fact, here's some other stuff as well. Ensuring that you maintain that as you get bigger, that would make you stand out. How do you do that? Because that's super uber generous and relaxed about the fact that you can do that sort of thing. Yeah, we actually we, we purchased a bit of software a couple of years ago by a, a Dublin-based company called Excelco. It, in terms of that 
customer management. It's the tool is phenomenal, but we want to over deliver. Um, my family background is in the hotel industry, and I guess from a very young age, I've been working with customers. And you can see, you know, if you over deliver, those people become loyal customers. They talk about your brand to other people. They become advocates of your brand, and uh, you know you don't have to pay for that type of marketing. We have some amazing followers, and they, you know, they bring co- more customers to us more than any, you know, advertising that we can possibly do. So, in, in, in simple terms, it just makes good business sense. Yeah, keep yeah. doing it. It's been really lovely talking to you. Thank you, um, uh, and good luck with this this business, which feels more like a sort of a social enterprise as Thank well you. as a business, which is very smart and and a really good thing for for young girls as they get older. Just before I let you go, what's your song choice, and why have you chosen it? So there's a song by Nina Simone, uh, I'm Feeling Good, and it's written by two uh, writers from London here, and it's a song about emancipation, and I suppose from Nina's background and, and actually the play that it was written for initially, um, it was around um, black emancipation and, and, and getting rid of those chains, but also f- uh, from a feminist perspective as well. So. I can relate that also to kids, you know, and kids that have been bullying as well. And if you're able to listen to the lyrics of this song, it makes you feel good, you know, no matter what challenges you have. Birds flying high, you know how I feel. Sun in the sky, you know how I feel. Breeze drifting on by, you know how I feel. It's a new dawn, it's a new day It's a new life for me, yeah It's a new dawn, it's a new day It's a new life for me And I'm feeling good Fly out in the sun, you know what I mean, don't you know? Butterflies all having fun, you know what I mean? Sleep in peace when day is done, that's what I mean. And this old world is a new world in a boat.
That was I'm Feeling Good from Nina Simone, the song choice of my business shaper today, Ian Harkin. He looked for people that were compassionate and socially aware. He talked about not trying to compete. He talked about building his business and his brand slowly. And most importantly, from a customer service point of view, it was all about over-delivery. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a great weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoy that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishkon.com forward slash jazz shapers.